This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of Talk Back for this Friday edition, Friday, February 23rd. Talk Back this morning brought to you by Phillips Janitorial with residential and commercial cleaning. And no job is too big or small for Phillips. Their number, it's obviously, they're all 406-260-6617. Y West Storage out at the Y on Two Smokes Way. Want to find out if they have storage for you? Here's the number. It is 406 one zero zero five nine zero because at Y West we're making room for you. Also brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, remember Gomer's has just what you need to make sure your rig starts every time. Located at Palmer and West Broadway. And by Harrington Surgical Supply, where appointments are preferred for mastectomy fittings and custom compressions, but walk-ins are always welcome. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, we are starting hour number two of the Friday edition of TalkBack, and that means we are privileged to have with us uh, Kirsten Papps, the uh, attorney, uh, pardon me, the Missoula County attorney. We had the attorney general last hour. Uh, Missoula County attorney Kirsten Papps joining us on the phone right now. Kirsten, good morning. Well, good morning, Peter and Nick. How are you? We're doing great, and we love having you every single week we have left uh, of our time together. So let, let's uh, not let's, very many. Yeah, let, let's jump into the crime report. What happened this week? We charged 17 new criminal complaints, which is about what we charged last week as well, slightly above average. Um, in the person's categories, we had four partner family member assault type cases. In one, a woman allegedly assaulted her husband. In another, an adult son allegedly assaulted his mom and his uncle. Another, a man headbutted his wife allegedly. And then the child that was present called 911 for help. Finally, um, Another man allegedly assaulted his wife, causing serious bodily injury. And then the allegation is he attacked three deputies during the booking process. Um, in the non-family category, we charged someone for pointing an SKS rifle at another driver. And then in the endangerment column, we had six new cases. Two of those were felony DUIs, and um, four of them were criminal endangerments. Those included speeds in excess of 100 miles per hour during a chase. Another one involved shots fired in a public park. Um, a third one involved reckless driving with two toddlers on board. And then finally, the fourth involved a fire and explosions that occurred in a person's tent. In the property column, we charged three new cases. And then finally, in the drug category, we had three as well. Two methamphetamine cases and one involving meth and fentanyl. The allegation was the defendant allegedly was trying to hide and destroy her pills in the back of the patrol car. Last night looks like it was fairly quiet. There were two new arrests that were uh, reviewing uh, a fugitive in a DUI. So knock on wood. All right. Now, I, I understand in uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, there, there was a, a hearing on a justifiable shooting uh, a hearing. Uh, can you share the outcome of that, please? 
Yes, uh, we had a coroner's inquest on the Ledoux case. Mr. Ledoux was killed during a confrontation with several law enforcement officers at the Smoke Jumper Center after he had committed a handful of robberies and had threatened the officers as well, came out with a gun that looked a lot like it was like an identical replica of an actual gun, although it was not. And then um, the jury determined that he died basically suicide by cop. It was a very tragic situation. Um, those officers ex- exercised extreme restraint before they were forced to use lethal force to protect themselves. It's always a pleasure talking with you, ma'am. Thank you so much. We appreciate it and hope you have a good weekend. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's our attorney, uh, Missoula County Attorney Kirsten Paps. We're going to come right back. We have City Talk waiting. We're going to be talking with Emily, Emily Gluckin, who's senior planner at the city. Also, Ashley Brittner Wells, community engagement specialist for the Our Missoula Growth Policy Update and the Code Reform Project. And that's all the time we have. No, <laughs> we're going to come. We're going to come right back with our special guests on City Talk. And by the way, they're here to take your phone calls this morning. That's why they're here with their headphones. On. So, seven two one twelve ninety is our number. One eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. This is your opportunity to visit with the folks who work in the city on your behalf. So, we're coming right back after this. Our weekend weather forecast falling apart a little bit, although we should still have some sun at times. Morning fog possible on Friday with sunshine in the afternoon. Increasing clouds Friday night into Saturday, although the main threat of rain probably won't move into west central Montana until Saturday evening with rain at times on Sunday. Gusty winds at times too and continued mild with highs in the low to mid 40s. Overnight lows continuing around the freezing mark. In the Town Square Weather Center, I'm Dennis Bragg. All right, 10 minutes past the hour. We are officially beginning City Talk. The phone lines are open at 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. We have Ginny Miriam with us. She's the Communications Director for the City of Missoula. Also, Emily Emily Gluckin, Senior Planner with the City. And Ashley Brittner-Wells, who's been on the show before. Uh, a community Engagement Specialist for the Our Missoula Growth Policy Update. And the code reform project. So that's, I know that's a mouthful, but Ginny, I know you wanted to kind of lay a little groundwork here, uh, about uh, what's going on with the, what we're talking about today. Well, I did. Good morning. I just wanted to say code reform is, uh, development code is a challenging thing for us to talk about because many of the things that the city does, you can just look out your window and see them happening. Is my snow being plowed? Has my street been have my potholes been patched? Oh, there's a fire engine responding. Oh, there's a police car. So you can see all the things the city is doing in the course of a day. People say, how can I see development code? Development code actually is the same way in that when you look out your window or you're at a business, you're in a business neighborhood, everything that you see was built there because of and within the parameters of and at the direction of development code. So zoning and all the rules that we have surrounding development let you know that, oh, for instance, this has been under discussion recently, I could have a cafe, I could have a neighborhood grocery. Um, Can I have commercial in my neighborhood? Are the buildings going to be tall? Are they going to be short? How far are they going to be set back? Parking? Parking, yes. And so... I just ask people when you listen to Emily and Ashley talk about this project, think about how important that is. It's just as important as seeing that fire truck. 
All right, because what we're talking about here are foundational issues. Uh, uh, when you drive past a house and you see the beautiful uh, the landscaping and, and, and maybe the deck or whatever, what, you're, what you can't see are the infrastructure that went into that uh, with, with, with the cement, that with, with, with the framing, with, with, uh, and all the various codes that go into building that so you have a safe structure to, to, to live in you know, residentially. Well, with the city, it's the same deal. I mean, uh, we, we have organizations and, and, and agencies that work really hard to try to develop a foundation that gives us a, a, a good and comfortable life. So that's why you guys are here, right? All right. Yeah. So so let, let, let's talk a little bit. Uh, if you Okay, for Emily, uh, what are you working on the code reform project right now? Now, the co- if you wouldn't mind just very quickly giving us a, a, a sky view of what code reform is. Yes, I would love to tell you. So um, right now we have entered phase three out of six of this project. Wow. Um, we're halfway there, which is really exciting. Does it feel like halfway? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. <laughs> we're trudging. We're trudging up question. the hill. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a little more, but um, uh, so phase three of this project is dedicated to. We've dubbed it scenarios for the future. So it's really all about um, starting to visualize, literally on on maps and in images um, that we can share with the community, uh, what change could look like for Missoula. So we have. Our set of development codes as they exist right now, we have our growth policy that we operate under. Um, we, through this process, can change it and right-size it to um, align with what our community's current goals are. Um, so this scenario process will really look at what what will those changes look like and... And on, on the ground, you know, when you look out your window. What, if, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, sure. uh, if, for the public to understand exactly how important this is, right? Uh, would you mind just stepping back a little bit, giving us, a, a if, if you will, a bird's eye view of, of uh, how this, the code reform project, why was it necessary in the first place? Obviously, we're growing. Uh, our, the, the, um, atmosphere of our community has changed. used to be a big industrial town. No longer. It's now just a smaller business. Uh, that sort of thing. The university is all part of it. And people moving in, people moving out. So how does code reform affect all that? Yeah. So this was um, a, a project that was kind of the idea was initiated a couple of years ago with the goal being that our current growth policy was adopted in 2015. Our current codes that we operate under, um, those were adopted in 2009. As we all know, so much has changed since then. So that's a long time? That's a a long time. (laughs) Even, you know, in the last few years since the pandemic, we've seen so many shifts in Missoula. Um, And it's really important that our operating policies that, you know, guide growth for the next 20 or so years um, are modernized and current and helping us address current issues. And same thing with our codes, which is how we implement these goals. Um, 2009 was a long time ago and um, some of our priorities have changed and um, I can talk about it a little bit, but we've identified how our current codes are not really implementing what our goals are. Go ahead, go ahead. How are they not and why are they not? Yeah, so um, this is a little plug for a report that we'll have coming out next week called the Code Diagnostic. Um, This is a report that has been prepared by our consultant team that's helping us with the Armazula project. Um, And it's 
really looking at how uh, kind of three angles, but first how our existing codes align or don't align with our adopted policies. So, you know, we have a lot of adopted policies beyond our growth policy, like a Climate, sure. Climate so goals, it's like what, like, what, 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 which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, I, I, obviously, yeah. uh, they, these things have to work hand in hand, but one has to kind of predate the other. Yes. Okay. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's one angle. It's just seeing like, are these these tools that we have to put put things on the ground and create our built environment? Are they actually achieving what we want to? see as a community okay um the other angle it's looking at is like how usable is the code so both for um people that are applying for permits people that are trying to do projects on their property and for staff reviewing these projects um how usable is it like are the codes easy to follow and understand and easy to implement um the spoiler alert is that no they're not really so okay um that's described more in this oh, report. So, so how, 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 were you, how were you gently reminded that it's not working the way you intended it to work? Yeah. Um, we did a lot of um, kind of background research that went into this um, report. So both with just our consultants spent a lot of time with our development codes and our policies um, and just, you know, their best practices knowledge looking at other codes and um, they were able to kind of pick out like where things conflict or where they're not usable. Um, And then on top of that, we spent a lot of time with our staff who are actively, you know, intimately working with these codes every day and identified the issues there. And Um, and getting obviously getting public input. Yes. Yep. We had um, some listening sessions with our development community members and, you know, people who are we um, have been referring to them as frequent code users, but people who are really kind of uh, in this day by day. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we, we've we had a few other workshops that have told us what, what people value and what, mm-hmm. what's coming up. So we're kind of aware of. And, and this is, if, if I can put in a plug here, this is, sure. why it's, this is why it's important when these things are announced on TalkBack or in social media or whatever. Uh, you know, this is why it's important to attend these and 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 allow people to express their opinions and likes and dislikes because if they don't you'll never know uh what what wonderful idea could have come forward yes absolutely this is definitely a community driven project and um i think we'll push it over to Ashley for a little bit to talk about our engagement approach, which was really um, different for this project, but yes. With that, we're going to take a break. break. We, we also have Jeff waiting on the line to visit with you ladies. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. This is City Talk. Our guests are Emily, Emily Glucan and Ashley Brittner-Wells. We're going to come right back, hopefully, with Jeff's call and yours right after this. Every Tuesday and Thursday. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. This is City Talk this morning. Peter Christian here, Nick Christensen producing Talk Back, taking your phone calls, and we can always use some more. But our guests here in the studio, Emily Glucken and Ashley Brittner Wells, along with Ginny Miriam, and Jeff has been waiting the longest. Jeff, good morning. You're on with our guests. What's your question, sir? Hey, good morning. I'm outside with dogs. If you hear any noise, that's what's going to happen. Um, before I get to my question, something I've made a distinction on before, but I think needs to be said because you started off talking about framing and, and concrete and stuff. This is not building code discussion. This is zoning code discussion. And those are completely different ah, from uh, thank each you. other. Thank, thank, so, thank, uh, thank you for the reference. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is about how you can build, not um, not the, the techniques of building. Um, but I, my question is about um, the the recent uh, denial of the Fort Missoula uh, renovation project, and that that really troubles me because you have somebody who owns private property, and they've come up with a plan, and uh, and it was disapproved by the city council. You know, we have a city that is complaining about not having enough housing. And, and in, the, in the meantime, they're denying housing permits because they didn't like the, uh, the historic nature of what they were trying to do, even though they, uh, you know, the, the builder was willing to accommodate the, uh, the mission style that, that, that uh, the city and the, and the uh, Missoula Historic uh, uh, Council wanted. So it's, you know how how can we have both, or you know, how can you do both and, and keep a straight face? How can you say we want more housing, and then when somebody comes up with a housing project on private property, you go, well, no, that didn't really meet our needs, so sorry, we're going to deny your permit. All right, Jeff, thanks for the call, ladies. Uh, anybody want to tackle that one? Go right ahead, uh, Jenny. Did you want to comment on that at all? No. <laughs> um, I would love to if I knew more. I yeah, don't know yeah. enough to wade into it. That when you start involving historic preservation, that is kind of outside the purview of what we're talking about today. And it was strictly a council decision because it was appealed. It's very um, legally determined how that is done. And I can't speak to it. I'm really sorry. Well, I, I can understand his question. I mean, his, I do. his yes. question is very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as what we're talking about today, you're not really dealing with that. So, right? That is true. Okay. All right. So let, let's, get, uh, let's get Larry on the line. Larry, good morning. You're on Talkback with our guests. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Uh, I'm concerned about some of the unintended consequences of these code reforms. And uh, I'll give you a couple quick examples. Uh, the uh, back in the the eighties and nineties, uh, uh, suddenly in uh, single family residential neighborhoods, uh, the idea of ADUs was brought up, and uh, suddenly the um, the requirements to have off street parking and keeping the alley open and all those. Uh, requirements were suddenly uh, eliminated. And so how do you maintain the character of the neighborhood when uh, suddenly you're putting in a multifamily dwelling unit in the middle of a single family residential area and you're building out to the maximum uh, setback requirements and you've lost your green space, you've lost your your uh, ability to have trees or shrubbery around there. And those are some of the unintended consequences of these code reforms because they don't maintain the quality of the neighborhood. We bought a house uh, up in the Farviews area and it was single family residence. And suddenly uh, we started seeing college students uh, renting those and they were in violation of the fire codes at the time because they had uh, multiple non-related people living in a household and we had more cars parked around there and couches out in the street when they left and um, 
How do you maintain the character of the neighborhood when you're going through this code reform? And I'll listen off the air. All right. Good questions, Larry. Thank you for the call. Go ahead. Larry, I am so glad for your question um, because it is um, a spot on observation and um, exactly what we will be exploring in our upcoming workshops um, that are happening next week. And it's it's really looking at that idea of um, how can we provide more housing in a way that, um, you know, tackles the, the housing crisis that we're currently in and the, the housing needs that we know that we need to fill for our community while preserving the character of Missoula's neighborhoods. Um, and there's kind of a few different prongs to that question, but definitely what you brought up about there are trade-offs, like how providing more housing does have impacts. What are we comfortable with? Um, and in terms of what what are the elements of our neighborhoods and the character of our neighborhoods that we do need to preserve? Um, so that's what we'll be exploring in this. Now, well, one, of the, one of the things I heard with, within Larry's comment was the fact that uh, Larry's a very connected guy. I mean, as you know, he's been, been involved in city politics for many, many, many years. And so it, it surprised me to hear in his voice and his comments that no one else in the neighborhood seemed to have been apprised of these changes and that all, all of a sudden here's all these college kids moving in, right? Well, uh, was there a hearing? Was there a decision? Uh, so th- I, th- I think I heard that in his voice. Yeah, that that brings up a shift that I kind of want to point out while we're here on the show. Go for um, it, yeah. That this, is, this is your hour, yeah. so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so a really, a really important shift that we, we need to make people aware of is with recent state legislation um it it shifts the emphasis of kind of public awareness and public participation to during the planning process so essentially what we're in right now and less so during site specific development so when individual projects are happening or individual buildings are being built um those we'll see less public hearings less kind of notification about those so um, to what you mentioned before, Peter, it's it's crucial to have that public involvement during this stage so we know that the the plan that we adopt and the codes that we adopt are aligned with what people care about and set the expectations so that when projects do happen, people people know what to expect. Yeah, and, and, and at least they have the opportunity to raise their hand and say, um, have you thought about this? Exactly. Right? Yeah. And we're up against a break and we, we haven't heard we haven't heard from Ashley <laughs> yet. We're, we're want to get Ashley on. We're going to go right back. She's waving. <laughs> 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Our phone lines are clear. If you have a question on City Talk, that's why these folks are here to talk with you and answer your questions. So that number is 721-1290. Back in a moment. Hey, we're having too much fun off mic. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. This is City Talk. Emily Gluckin joining us, senior planner for the city. Ashley Bridner-Wells. We haven't even heard from Ashley yet. So, Ashley, so Hello. Uh, uh, Larry had some very interesting questions mm-hmm. about uh, the changes that occurred in his neighborhood uh, uh, that he was concerned about. And so, uh, in a situation like that, what what should a, a, a concerned citizen do? Yeah, I you know... I appreciate the question as well from a community engagement perspective because we, you know, want to hear these different opinions and different 
concerns um, so that we can try to address everything holistically. The code reform effort wouldn't be able to say whether or not someone could rent their house to anyone. Um, there's, you know, fair housing laws and the tenant and landlord, you know, relationship. That's not really something that we're able to um, get in the middle of at the city. But what we can do in a situation where, you know, there's couches or otherwise just left maybe in the right of way on the sidewalk or whatever, you can call our office. We work for community planning, development and innovation at the what's, city of Missoula. What's, what's the numbers? People oh, can write it down. gracious. Let Please. me grab it for you. <laughs> okay. um, well, no, we, we can wait till the end of the show. That's but fine. basically you would give a call to our department and ask to talk to the code compliance division and Mm -hmm. they would be able to assist with something like that. The phone number is uh, 406-552-6630. And that's the way to handle that. So we cover all sorts of things with the code reform project, but those two just wanted to clear up that that distinction, um, just make that distinction for Larry and others. Oh, good to know. Let's, uh, we have another caller on the line. This is Susan. Susan, good morning. You're on Talkback with, with Emily and Ashley. Go ahead. Hi there. I was one of them that spoke out against this particular development. Uh, there were a lot of people that spoke out against it. Susan, are you talking about Fort Missoula? I know. I went, sorry. I thought we were still talking about Fort Missoula. Okay, go um, ahead. Go ahead. That's fine. I had to pop out. And I'm popping back in. Um, Fort Missoula has always been the target of developers because there have been properties out there that were for sale. And I never have understood why developers thought that that was an opportunity for ugly housing development. And the problem that I saw with the development being proposed was that it did not at all look like the historical building that is the hospital. And I I couldn't figure out why they would plunk condominiums or townhouses next to a beautiful um, building that is historical that I guess they were proposing to restore and put these ugly buildings in. And I I guess I want to ask the planner and whoever else is on the line from the city, why do these developers keep cropping up because I believe there were four of them in the past or a total of four that think that they can do these things. Are they given are they given hope that they can build ugly buildings out there and get away with this kind of stuff or do they just think that they can go out there and make these proposals and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of planning and and the public is going to allow it to happen. I'm, right. Well, let, let's let let them answer that. <laughs> First of all, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I think <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> ugly versus attractive buildings. So, go ahead, Ashley. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, Emily. Go ahead. We're okay. pretty much interchangeable. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> that's okay. Um, Susan, I'm afraid I I haven't been personally involved in those projects in the fort, so I can't speak to your question of. Um, we have had those developers around. in mm-hmm. the studio, 
okay. uh, to talk about there. And we've seen the, the mock-ups. We've seen it. It's really quite lovely, uh, if, at least from the drawings that I've seen, and very respectful of the area and of the historicity and all that. And so they were hoping that with all that they had done, uh, background trying to get all that ready, that there would be it would be more favorably received. So, no, I think that's true, and I think I mean by the nature of the job of being a developer, you're looking for opportunities to develop, and so and you're willing to risk your own money. Well, yeah. yes, and sometimes a considerable amount. But as you can see um, from the proposals that happen at the fort, that there has not been one that has been approved because that historical importance and designation overlays a whole different set of rules well you can i I can understand the the confusion within within the public mind because when you drive out there yes it's a beautiful historic place the museum is great but many of the buildings are literally falling down on themselves. I mean, uh, uh, and they could be dangerous uh, if, if someone were to try to camp out in there, whatever. So, so why not do something? Why not allow a, a private individual or a private group to come in respectfully, you know, maintaining the historicity of the area, uh, uh, come up with something where people could have a place to live? Uh, to, to me, that sounded like a perfectly reasonable request. So anyway. So there we go. All right. So let, let, let's continue on. And we wanted to talk with Ashley. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the timeline and uh, engaging. And you've got some, some special things coming up, meetings that people can, uh, can join in on. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the stuff that's coming up, but I also wanted to say a little bit about where we've been. Great. Go ahead. So I think there is a little bit of a perception. You know, this has been a very long project. It's been happening since December of 2022 um, for a reason. We have six phases of the project um, that are all iterative, um, meaning that they kind of build on each other. Um, but We might be hearing a little bit about folks feeling like things might not be happening, but we do want to talk about what we've done since since December when we kicked off the project. So the community launch that we held in December was really around kind of laying the foundation for the project and the necessity. A lot of what Emily talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, And along with that was also a new approach to community engagement um, and bringing folks along in a way that they may not have been brought along on other projects in the past. We're talking talking citywide here. Citywide. So I'm not a planner, um, but I've learned a lot and I play one on the radio. (laughs) And essentially (laughs) what happens is that a lot of these projects are really complex. You know, our, our growth policy is, I think, 700 pages or something. And that includes a lot of addendums and things that, you know, you don't necessarily need to dig too deeply into, but it creates a barrier to everyday Missoulians, folks that are, that care about things going on in the neighborhoods, folks like Larry and Jeff and Susan that have called today to be able to engage in some of these, um, projects. And so, Our community kickoff was co-hosted with a community organizing collective in town called Common Good Missoula. And we just held a really great event where we taught folks about the importance of the project. We heard personal stories from folks in the community. And then we set everybody up for the fact that this is going to take a couple of years, um, but that we will have six phases of engagement. 
the la- uh, second phase was about defining the problem and really providing a lot more education about the different things going on in our code and the misalignment between our growth policy and our development codes that are creating some issues in our community right now. Affordable housing is chief among them, but there's a lot of other things, a lot of different inequities that are being perpetuated and it's making it hard for folks to stay in neighborhoods that they want to stay in, but then also even stay in Missoula. I was born and raised here and I want to be able to stay in this community. And so getting folks involved and aware of what's going on um, is a key piece to our community engagement philosophy at in our department and for this project. So, with that, yeah, with that, we're up against a commercial break. We're going to continue. You asked me to talk. Yes, well, I, <laughs> and, and I'm going to have you continue. Awesome. Uh, when we return, plus, plus we have all of our phone lines open. You have a question for Emily and Ashley? Give us a call seven two one twelve nine. This is your city. This is your town. And if you have something uh, you want to talk about uh, with, with these ladies, we're here to help with talking about city planning and, and code reform. We're going to come right back with more right after this. Hey, we have more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month for news, weather and emergency information. A new bill in Congress would make sure AM radio remains in cars because when cell and Internet services are down, this free service could be your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress to support the AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act. Message and data rates may apply. You may receive up to four messages a month and you may text stop to stop. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. We are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. We always like to put our callers on first when when they take the con- time to call. We're going to continue with Ashley's comments in a moment. But Ed, please go ahead. What's on your mind, sir? Yes, yeah, so one of your guests uh, uh, used a word that sent uh, uh, a shiver up my <laughs> spine, and that's holistic. Okay, Wh- whoever used the word ho- holistic or holistically, uh, could you define the term? Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks for the call. I, uh, which one? Okay, all right, Ashley, it's all yours. I don't even remember what I said <laughs> in regard to holistic. Right. Um, I defining it I guess I would have to recall what how I used it I think in the context of you know this project and talking about holistically or holistic specifically okay. Peter's going to give you us ready? an actual I, I, I looked up uh, Mr. Google uh, <laughs> let's see characterized by the belief that the parts of something are interconnected and can be explained only by reference to the whole well I would have to say that that's spot on for this project because all of the, you know, neighborhoods and, and interconnectedness of our community um, are really, you know, I think reliant on each other. And we are a community. Missoula is a really strong and very well engaged community. I, I have a difficult job in the sense that I want to get folks involved, but then I don't because folks really do want to be involved and are very well informed and do want to stay engaged. And so part of the, I would say, interconnectedness is some of the features of the project um, kind of uh, tackling connectivity, climate, housing, equity, housing affordability, things like that that are sort of addressed within the growth policy. It's a 700-page document. It addresses a lot of different things. Um, But it's our vision for growth. And so the way that all of that is sort of um, connected is very important for the project. But then that means it's also really important to go out and make sure that we're getting a holistic view. And maybe this is what I said um, of of what folks are thinking, you know. So people are going to have different opinions. The cool thing about 
the workshops that we've been doing is that they're centered around collaborative education. So you're learning from me, I'm learning from you, we're all learning from the city, but we're sitting at a table together listening to our shared experiences, um, the different things that might be coming up. So some of the renters that may have been renting in the street that Larry was referencing earlier may not have had another choice and were getting priced out of their houses. And there might be a huge backstory to some of that, not excusing a couch in the median, but just for <laughs> yeah. learning from each yeah. other and hearing from each other. And so the way that everything is interconnected, I think, is a big element of this project. All right. And I think I think uh, we have a couple of callers waiting. To, but, but I think the important thing is you want people to come out so that they can be heard Absolutely. about the things that they're concerned about. Uh, because uh, many times uh, when you're dealing with a, a large group like the city or the county, you figure, I'm just I'm just a, pee, uh, a peon, uh, nobody cares about what I think. Uh, well, you know, you don't give yourself enough credit because when you come out and when you speak and when you participate, uh, you do have the, a chance to move the needle a little bit. Absolutely. And that's why we've tried so hard to get folks involved, why we provide multiple opportunities for folks to engage. We'll talk a little bit about the workshops that are coming up, um, but we have three opportunities. We're doing the same workshop three times so that if you can't come on one day, then you have two more op- opportunities to participate. So okay, when, when are they, real quick? When are they? Yeah. So the first one is February 27th. That's Tuesday. It's from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. That's next Tuesday. Yep, mm-hmm. right. um, at Garden City Harvest, the barn there on River Road. Uh, Wednesday, February 28th is from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. at the Missoula Public Library on the fourth floor, Cooper Room. And then Wednesday, March 6th is at Burn Street Community Center, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Great. Let's get a let's get a call on. Uh, this is Liz. Liz, good morning. Thank you for holding. You're on with uh, with Emily and Ashley. Go ahead. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Um, I have some questions about compliance. So, you, if, if somebody just comes in and builds something, you know, who's in charge of compliance? Or is something that's supposed to happen on a specific date? Like, okay, there here's a bonded piece of property, and they're supposed to clean it up by such and such a date. Who's in charge of compliance and making sure with the follow-up that things actually happen? And I have a couple more questions also. Okay, go ahead. Uh, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Yeah, <laughs> so um, within our department, Community Planning, Development, and Innovation, we have a code compliance team, and they're all over the city all the time um, responding to calls or complaints, but their job is also when a project is finished or, like, in construction, there are certain checks that need to happen um, to make sure that projects are complying with the the codes that we have. Um, And we also have, you know, building inspectors and engineering inspectors who are looking at things from from those set of codes. A a safety point of view. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Okay. All right. So what's what's your your other question before we take a break? Go ahead, Liz. Zoning versus uh, restrictive covenants. Which one has more teeth for the residents? Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Uh, thanks for the call, Liz. Zoning versus restrictive covenants. We'll, we're going to cover that in one minute. Uh, think about it here for a second. Uh, we'll take our final break. It's a 60-second timeout. We'll come right back with more right after this one-minute timeout. All right, let's talk about uh, covenants versus re- restrictive covenants versus regulations. Go ahead. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Thank you for that. Um, it's They're a little bit of a different set of rules, and I'm not sure how to answer which one has more teeth, but it's just... Um, one is within the city's jurisdiction, so the city can regulate zoning. We can um, make sure people are complying with it. 
Whereas restrictive covenants, um, those are kind of out of the city's jurisdiction. So, for example, if the zoning code um, says that you can do something, but your restrictive covenants say you can't, then um, it's kind of beyond the city's ability to. So, to so, so, that. like a neighborhood association who's exactly. come up come up with these restrictive covenants, they have the ability to trump something to say. Well, the city could allow it, but we're we're, we're not so much in favor of it, mm-hmm. right? Okay, good to know. All right, let's get uh, Jeff back on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on Talk Back. Uh, welcome back, sir. Go ahead. Hey, and I apologize for the distraction earlier with the two dogs being noise. Um, no problem. We liked it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's real life. Um, I want to push back, though, because uh, a holistic approach, as you use the word, would by definition include historical preservation. And so if you have revamped the zoning codes, but you haven't included historic uh, preservation in there, and that, uh, how would you ensure, to use a Peter Christian word, the historicity <laughs> of the area <laughs> with, without having that in the zoning code? It doesn't make any sense to me. You have to address historic preservation as part of the city. There are historic structures in the city. Mm-hmm. And so a zoning code that doesn't address those is in at least part useless and by definition would not be holistic. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for that question, Jeff. Um, we do have a section about historic preservation in our zoning code. It's uh, kind of a, a chapter within the code. Um, I think it's a good question of making sure that, that that code really functions and helps us achieve our goals as far as it, you know, um, it doesn't conflict with other things in the code or can really be um, operated appropriately. But um, zoning is something that encapsulates Historic preservation. Yeah, well. Well, one, one example is what happened with the Merck several years ago. Uh, they, 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 the people wanted to save the Merck, right? Well, there, there was a hotel that wanted to build a, a perfectly, you know, so they, they worked something out, right? And it wasn't, I don't think anybody was completely happy with the whole thing, but at least everybody had a chance to say something. It sounds like a collaborative type situation. Yeah, I mean, on top of our, our zoning guidance for historic preservation, we do have a historic preservation commission, and I think that's where right. discussions about the mark took place. Um, and then the maybe slightly complicated thing is that with um, some historic properties, um, we're subject to the Secretary of State rules, too, or I think they're design standards, Um our historic preservation officer can <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. speak to this better than I can, sure. but okay. um, so that's not in our zoning. Let, let's get back to the business at hand, which is which is uh, wh- what you want to share with our listeners on how we can participate with you in what you're trying to do. So who wants to start? Ashley, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, so the, th- the three workshops that we have coming up are a great place to plug in. Um, we, like Emily said, are in phase three of a six-phase project. It's um, scenarios for the future. And really, we're trying to get folks to these events to play a really fun and engaging planning game. (laughs) I might kick it over to Emily to detail what that is. But again, it's kind of one of those things where we're all learning from each other. You're going to sit together with your neighbors and folks that, you know, a couple of facilitators and note takers from the city will 
oversee kind of what what the situation is, what the conversation is, to hear concerns, to hear preferences, um, to answer questions, and then also just to kind of guide the game along. It's something that we haven't really done before. A lot of the stuff that we've done with our events has been really um, fun and engaging and different workshops, different activities. We're trying to bring it down so that it's fun um, and it's educational at the same time, but it also achieves, you know, providing input into the project. And so uh, I'll, play, only... I'll play public address announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, entering the field. Okay. So, <laughs> so well, we, we, we have exactly three minutes. So go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So um, as I mentioned before, in response to Larry's question, this game is really focused on that question that he brought up of how can we, um, provide housing options while making sure that we're not disrupting the neighborhood character that we all appreciate in our different neighborhoods in Missoula. Um, it is going to be a map-based game where um, you you work with a small group, um, but it's kind of individual decision-making, and um, it it will ask you to consider what kind of range of housing options you would prefer in different areas of the city. Um, and yeah, I, I think it'll be fun. I mm-hmm. acknowledge that I'm a planning nerd, so. <laughs> but I okay, think it'll be so, fun. so when and where, and uh, is there a cost to attend or what? what? Um, free, open to all members of the public. Again, these are going to be um, Tuesday, February 27th, next week from 6 to 8 p.m. at Garden City Harvest. Right. That's on River Road. Okay. Um, February 28th, that's Wednesday from 1 to 3 p.m. at the library. And then um, March 6th, 5 to 7 p.m., Burn Street Community Center. So I'm going to give you the the last minute uh, to, oh. to, to explain why this is so important, why, why people listening today turn up the radio a little bit and say, that why, the, why is this so important? Well, Jenny started out talking a lot about how the zoning and development code and the growth policy show up in our community. So when you look out your window, you're seeing what's allowed, what's possible. We want to hear from folks um, about what makes their neighborhoods, what they value about their neighborhoods. We did that a lot with our growth policy workshops, but this is kind of sinewing down into, you know, the preferences that you have in your neighborhood. And so showing up and kind of saying like, these are the things that I'm comfortable with. These are some of the things that I'm concerned about. I This is what my neighborhood looks and feels like. Can we keep that while also addressing some of the concerns for my neighbors? Um, it's really important to us to be able to hear from all sorts of folks and, and make it accessible. We never charge for our events. In fact, we provide you fig bars and sparkling water and, you know, <laughs> Sparkling personalities as well. You know, Emily and I all the time. Um, Jenny might be at some of these as well. Okay. How about a phone number where people get more information? Real quick. My phone number is 406-552-6221. The website is engagemissoula.com backslash r hyphen Missoula. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Nice job. Okay, Mr. Nick, what's coming up on uh, on Monday's fabulous program, sir? I believe we're going to do open phones from 8 to 9. Uh, I'm not sure if Bob Seidenschwartz is going to join us for that or not. But then uh, from 9 to 10, we're going to talk with the Indian Consul General. Wonderful. All right. This is this is great. More that you don't, won't hear anywhere else but right here on KGVO. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday with Ace.